podcast is brought to you by Welcome all you QT faithful to your monthly hymnal devotional, where each month we sit down and take an intense look at one of the majestic soundtracks from the Tarantino-verse. I'm your host, the Reverend Scott K, and it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show, making his third appearance on the hymnal devotional, Mr. Frank Hannon, co-host of the Bachata Talk podcast. Together, we'll be giving a thorough examination of the tracks that reside on the Django Unchained soundtrack. Welcome back, Mr. Hannon and May Tarantino. Be with you always. Also with you. Good to be back. This is, whether you know it or not, <laughs> your fifth appearance on the show. Five and sadly, <laughs> and this is not intentional, you've been on two specials, two anniversary specials, <laughs> and now this will be your third Hindle devotional. And so in season three, I will have to get you on your first official episode episode i don't know whether i'll be like on the credits before the opening credits on season three yeah there you go yo it's crazy five five yes five timers club was like i remember seeing the episodes on snl with like alec baldwin and them back when they had only done five yes (laughs) it's funny you say that the other night i actually went through and found out who was on the most right who's gotten what steve smith is still the front runner. He's been on twelve times in the two seasons. Who is it? Steve Smith, my co-host uh, with the Cheeky Bastards and my oh, Dropping a Bruce but, podcast. No, 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 no. I messed up. I'm thinking of SNL, of course. Oh, oh you, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. SNL, yeah, no. Uh, but, but you're up there in the Five the Timers uni- Club, the right? Universe, the universe got mixed up. Sorry. There yeah. are three other gentlemen. So there's Steve Smith with twelve. Sean Wheeler's been on ten times. Pat Fournier's eight. Wow. Petros six, and then you. Elwood Jones and Ian Harries will have been on five times. You're the next one up. Hey. You and Elwood would have made the biggest jump this year because you've both been on four times this season. Wow, good company. You're only good on company. once, and you're on the same episode. That's crazy. So, shout, there you go. Shout out to Steve, for real, 12-timer. That's what's up. Well, he did nine in season one. He was a big help Jeez. in season one. Yeah, exactly. I, I cut him down this year. He's like, yeah, you know. He might not even be on next year. That might be it for him. <laughs> yeah, he's up there. Him. He's up there high. But, uh, yeah, so you are back. This will be your last appearance on this podcast for this season. But season yeah. three, I mean, you, season three writing, is right around you, the fucking you, corner. They're going to think you're writing me off, dude. And, well, I mean, hey, look, this is what happens, you know? Like uh, like yeah, Elwood was on early. He's been on since. He's gone. He's out. But we are here to talk about an amazing soundtrack. It's weird. The early soundtracks for Mr. Tarantino all seem to be classics, right? you got Dogs. You've got Pulp Fiction. We've got... Uh, Jackie Brown, and then the first volume of Kill Bill, right? They're 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 big, and then Kill Bill Volume Two, which you know I discussed that with Sean. You know you can kind of feel in that 
release that it was broken up immediately. Yeah. You can tell between the the music that made it on Volume 1 and what makes it on Volume 2. While there are some good songs still on Volume 2, it's not as heavy as Volume 1 is. So you can kind of tell that's where you can, you know, you kind of see that that's where they decided to break the movie up in half out of the blue. Yeah. A lot more probably would have been shuffled around had they had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Now, after that, people forget about Death Proof, which I just recently did. And I think Death Proof is fantastic. It's my favorite of all time of his. Then Inglorious Bastards, which precedes this one by a month. That one's a good one, but it's it's a lot of mix of music for the outside of the David Bowie song. It's really music that come out of the 40s er, and sounds like it should be in World War II. So I think yeah. that kind of fell off the radar for people, right? So they don't give Death Proof a, a shot. They don't really listen to the, the soundtrack. Inglorious Bastards is okay. No one really cares. And then I think people forget about Django. I think they forget how good this is. Like, this is maybe one of his best mixes of sampled score pieces and sampled needle drops yes. that rivals, and in my opinion, may even be better than Kill Bill Volume 1's. And I don't think it gets the credit because after this, you get The Hateful Eight, which is full score. You know, there's like, I think there's three needle drops in it. There's three play songs in it, which is the reverse, kind of like Death Proof. Death Proof had three play uh you know, score pieces and the rest, needle drops. So, you know, I think people forget about that the Hateful Eight, you know, one's in Ennio Morricone, his yeah. uh, first ever and only Academy Award. And then, obviously, then there's the giant fucking catalog that is Once Upon a Time. But I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's garnered the following and adoration that the early ones have. You know, like, not many people talk about Why the do Once you Upon think a that Time is? soundtrack. That, that I don't the other know. ones, because my theory has to do with what you mentioned when it happened with Jackie Brown, for example, that people were expecting a certain thing. They kind of didn't follow it. So I wonder if at some point they just stopped listening to the soundtracks because they got disappointed with one or two of them. Whatever. Could be. You know? Because I don't get it. I wonder if, and we'll get into that when we get to that episode, but I wonder if the reason Once Upon a Time doesn't get its deserve, maybe some feel it's just too on the nose for the 60s sound. You know, it's in the 60s. There's no music outside of that, that unless it's a, a scored piece that isn't in the 60s. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's a new, still fresh, but similar Django. I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. Either. Yes, I agree. Now, how do you feel about this movie right before we fall in love with this soundtrack again? How do you feel about Django Unchained? Is it just hit last year? It hit... 10. It's now on its 11th anniversary coming up in December. Where's Django sit for you in its lexicon of the Tarantino verse? Well, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed it, man. I remember just, it was one of those that I went to see. I think this, this is one of the Christmas Day releases that he did. Yes, it is. So I went to see it that day. Me, uh, my sister, and two friends in California. I was living there for a couple of years. And I was just psyched to go see it. And there's a lot that revolves around it. You know, obviously, the, the, the thematic, the theme of it, everything that it stands for. And I remember watching the Oscars, man, and just really rooting for this. Because, you know, when, when he won for Pulp Fiction, well, not that you knew this, but yeah. I was I was a little ass kid in the Dominican Republic. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> so this was the first time that I got to watch him be nominated and win. It was like, yo, I was I was screaming, dude. I was yelling. I was like, hell yeah, you know? Um, so I, and I enjoy the movie. It's not, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's so enjoyable to watch, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's obviously, we've talked about <laughs> in all the other episodes that I've been in, uh, some of my favorites. But it's almost like Tarantino himself says, and, and you said it, there's no favorite. It changes every time. So it's almost like when I'm watching it, maybe it was my favorite when I was watching it now, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's very enjoyable. It's 
the music, well, we're going to get to the music, but it's, it's one of the ones that I was like, damn, there's so many different things going on here, but it's not set in the time, you know, and, mm -hmm. it, and it still fits so well. You talk about Inglorious Bastards, the music was of that time, even in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but he didn't do that with this one and it still fits so well. You know, <laughs> and this is one of the only films or soundtracks of his outside of when we'll talk about the hateful eight next month because that was completely scored. Um, you know, it, it's his one and only scored piece of soundtrack. This one actually had four songs made specifically for this movie, which is a first from he's had one or two before, but this had quite a few, and we'll get into them as we go. And it's probably a good jumping off point for us to dive into because we got a lot of music to get through tonight because this is, <laughs> this is one of our longer ones. Yeah. And now it's time to reach out to your pews and pull out your Church of Tarantino hymnal as we begin our devotional with the soundtrack from Django Unchained. This soundtrack was released on December 18th, 2012 by Universal Republic. It features 24 tracks from various artists and has a running time of 59 minutes and 16 seconds. This soundtrack has four songs composed specifically for this film, and the album was nominated for a Grammy for Best Compilation Soundtrack Visual Media. It has been certified gold in Germany and Italy, and certified triple platinum in Austria. The album reached number one on the Swiss album charts and peaked at number four on the Billboard Soundtracks chart. And we kick it off with our first song being Django from Rocky Roberts and Louis Bakaloff. This song was composed and conducted by Louis Bakaloff, featuring Roberto Fia on vocals as part of the 1966 Sergio Carucci Spaghetti Western of the same name. This was Louis's first Western film score, and the soundtrack wasn't made available to the public until 1985. It was then re-released in 2013 due to the popularity of this movie. Now, for those of you who probably have already listened to the episode from two weeks ago, my Under the Influence, we talked about Django as one of the movies that influenced Django Unchained, and if you listen to it, then you know that Django, this song, comes from the original movie Django. It's the opening song for that film, as it is for this film. It is a complete homage. It's completely intentional. Yes. Now, I had not seen Django. I had heard of Django before Django Unchained came out. I knew immediately, sitting in the theater, when this song comes on, I knew immediately, just, I mean, just by the tone, the voice, that vocal range, it sounds a little bit like, for people who don't know, you know, if you're not familiar with some of the other music, it does have a bit of a almost Elvis Presley tone to the voice, like late 70s Elvis Presley, like in the ghetto Elvis Presley. So you can tell immediately that this is not a song of the time. This is not a song from 2012. You know, I mean, yes. so if you didn't know, like it was almost like you didn't have to know of the movie Django to know that this is probably came from a movie named Django and that this song was done a long time ago. It has that old feel to it, doesn't it? Yes. Most definitely. Did you know it came from the movie Django when you first saw this film? I don't know if I knew right away, but I knew right away that it was an older song, much like you said. Because I, I, I think in my case, I probably find out, found out about Django right after because I usually look up things that I like. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to know who wrote this, who did that. You know, with TV shows, I do it with everything. So I did soon find out about that there was another film with, with the same name and stuff like that. But as soon as I heard it, I knew it was an older song, you know? Yeah, the Django, and then like, yeah. <laughs> Django, yeah. like the, the chorus of Ladies Mind. I was like, it sounds nothing like a modern song. So people should have noticed immediately. It's so endearing. Like, it just really, really works. Like, it just, I don't know, it just adds to the I flavor of the beginning good. of that film. It's crazy how even though, you know, you have these people, these chain people walking, at the same time, the music just kind of had like a good feeling to it sometimes. I was like, damn, what's going on here? This is not happy. <laughs> You're right, because, I mean, we've got a slave chain gang 
walk in front of us, right? So we know where we're at. We know we're in the South. We know what's happening. We know where we are in America, even if America now wants to hide from this. You know, that that seems to be the new thing. Apparently in Florida, where you live, apparently slavery was beneficial to the slaves, apparently. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whatever helps you sleep, white people. But... When you hear you the song, though, <laughs> insanity. But when you see the film, right, when you see him walking and them walking, and I mean, obviously, we open up with it on his back so yeah. we can see the lashes. And you, there's not a sense of like, if you see like 12 Years a Slave, you don't, it's not like you feel downtrodden towards him. Like, you almost feel just by the tone of the song, even though he's shuffling, there's this feeling of like, I mean, you know, it's a Tarantino film, but. It, yeah. it almost feels like there's a power to it, right? Like, yeah, mm. he's in chains now, right? But like, there's this feeling of like, mm, this isn't this isn't his state. Like, this isn't where Django's going to end up. Yeah. He just has that song to it, like, because like it's that. ringing and it's singing about him. And you're thinking something else is going to happen. This this isn't the end of Django. He's not yes. going to be in these chains. I mean, it is called Django and Chain, but it, it just adds to it. You just feel right, this, like, like you said it to your point. It's called Django Unchained, so that yeah. means that. Yeah, when, yeah. yeah, so we know it's what's gonna. He's eventually gonna. I mean, obviously, when you start seeing the movie first time, you have no fucking clue that's all gonna happen. Yeah. But you know he's eventually gonna be out of chains. But it's almost like this heroic song, as opposed to like you yes. know, like a real somber song. Like like this dude's, you know, this this this, this is it. This is what his life is gonna be. He's in chains the whole time. Yeah. He's gonna live and die as a slave, and that's all we get. But that that music, that song, just it does. You know, it informs us that okay, this is how you're meeting the man. But you haven't seen nothing yet. You know, like you feel yeah. a power to the song that you don't get this like, oh, man, this is going to be a exactly. 12 year slave type of film where you're just like in that movie, you wish there's a Dr. King show to come and save him earlier. Like, it's just For like, real, man. you're like, holy fuck. How does he have to keep going through this? Like, if that movie started with Django, you'd be like, oh, this guy, he's not, being yeah, like, he's not going to be a slave for 12 years. He's fucking yeah. people up. There is a power. You know what else I thought about? Um, I briefly thought of Jackie Brown in the intro when they show him from the side walking like for some reason i just thought about the fact that you know there's they talk about how tarantino was showing her and you could see power in her as well Mm -hmm. you know when she's walking in the the walk walk whatever whatever you Mm -hmm. call that thing (laughs) but you see him from the side you still see yeah he isn't changed but you i can envision a powerful man as well you know, so I like that. And like later in that scene, he's only slumped over for a little bit. It's the minute those chains come off and that cape, he's yeah. Oh, yeah, like, okay. Yeah, it's right. a very heroic move in that moment. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, Dr. King Schultz helps him. Yeah. But it's almost like, you know, it's almost like he had to pretend to be something he's not. And now that he's free, yeah. And then he goes up and steps on the horse. Oh, God, fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> I love right. watching yeah, right. some Southern slavers get fucked up. I'm just going to be honest with you. Just sit and watch it all day long. All day yeah, long. man. For real. That'll lead us, though, to song number two. It's one of three, I do believe, from Mr. Ennio Morricone, and that is The Braying Mule. This song originally appeared on the 1970 American Western film Two Mules for Sister Sarah that starred Clint Eastwood and Shirley MacLaine and is one of three Morricone pieces on the soundtrack. Now, this song plays after Dr. Schultz has freed Django and the two ride into Daughtry. Is that that? Yes. Something like that, yeah. And it's an interesting moment because Django has spent his entire life in chains. Basically, been a life of trying to now free himself to be with Broomhilda, and but the two of them are so antsy that they get themselves separated. But it's when he's riding into that town in Texas, and the people are watching him, like 
They're thinking what Stephen eventually asks and says when he rides up to Candyland. Yeah. When the black man rides in on a horse, and even he feels it. Because later when we get into the later in the film, he's much more comfortable on the horse. Like, he rides in with all the fucking gumption. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, later on, he comes in like the lone fucking ranger. You know, like, he is yeah. in charge. But when he first rides into Texas, he still probably has what it's like to be. Like, he's still in the slave mindset. He's yes. not in the, I'm a free man. He's still like, all the white faces he sees, he can't trust. You see it in his eyes. He's still worried. He's still worried and looking around like. I mean, let's be honest. The only reason he's alive is because he's technically thought of as the property of the white man riding with him. Wow. That's crazy, right? That's the only reason he doesn't get yeah. shot. Same thing when he ha- when he rides into um, to see Don John. Oh <laughs> Come on God. inside and get yourself some cool drink. <laughs> when, he rides, yeah. when he rides into the blue suit, he's still not looked at as an equal at all. He's just looked at as, and even Don Johnson says it when she says, you want to treat me like the white people? No. No, that's not that. what I said. Yeah, it's not what I said. <laughs> he he's not white, but he's just not you. So he's just a little hair yeah. above you, who's still a slave. Yeah. But he's not he's not what I am, you know. And there's that. So that's the eyes he gets. And so this song just works because it fits in the Western motif. Something about that white woman staring out the window at him, not in confusion, but almost in amazement. Almost I, amazement. But it's it's almost it's like I don't want to say awe. It's not like she can't believe like. It's a black man, a horse, but it's almost like when you see something that you hadn't seen before, but now it like makes sense in your mind. That's probably a really good term. Oh, Do you know what I mean? Like she's seeing a black man, a horse. Now, and- the, the way you say it, it's almost like she's glad it happened or something like, or like, oh, it just yes. should have happened before yes. or something. Like, like, like this is how things should have, like, this is how it should be. Like almost she's yeah. looking at like, yes, wow. a black man on a horse should, that should be happening as opposed to like. What the hell's that black man doing on a horse? Or like Steven says. And, and I think that's why it's there. I think that's just why that image is there. Is it, It's meant to give you that moment of like, of all the other eyes in town that are looking at him. She now sees him the same way King Schultz sees him because he comes from Germany. And that's not the same. You know, they don't have that same mentality over there at that yeah. moment. They'll get there later. Don't worry. In a couple, in less than a century, they, <laughs> they lose their mind. But at that moment... You know, she sees him as like an equal. I guess that's the best way to say it. Like, like yeah. this man should always been allowed to ride a horse. And it's almost like, wow. Like, she sees the power in that, you know? So she doesn't, she, it's like she's seeing Django for Django and not as a slave on the horse. Yeah. It's such a brief moment, but it's there. And nonetheless, there is a lot of power to it. Side, side note, she, is she supposed to be a, a, speci- a specific character? Or it's just a... Uh... Not that I've ever read. Not that I've ever heard. I, I don't know. You know, I'm sure there's something he wrote in probably his description, like that she's supposed to be something. Yeah. And I don't even know if she's supposed to, like, I, I don't want to say she's like a whore, like, but I don't know what she is. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know if she's in a whorehouse and looking yeah, out the yeah. window. But look, let's yeah. be honest. Most of the most of the way even women are portrayed in Westerns at the yeah. time, not of the, in this movie, but at the time, it's, they're, you know, they're either some like Laura Ingalls on the farm lady yeah. or they're a whore in town. Like, if you see a woman in a town in the West, you think she's in, she's a, it's almost a prostitute, like a yeah, right? The way it was That's how they're portrayed, right? If they don't, if they're not in the town, then they're women who are married and live on the farm with their husbands. Now, I'm, not, I'm not going to make these rules or make these movies. That's just the way that <laughs> it's been portrayed for forever. So that's yeah. why it's confusing with her too, yeah. is we don't know because she's in a town. So usually the assumption is she's looking out the upstairs window. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Anywho, <laughs> again, this is a, a song that, you know, it's one of those great background tracks. It's perfect. It's part of the scenery. It's part of the fabric of what Westerns are. And this 
even though we're technically not in the West until we kind of get to the winter scenes and we get back to the South, this is a Western of his. This is one of his Southern Gothic Westerns, as they call it. And then technically the Western is the Hateful Eight, but even that's a little different than a Western because it's almost all inside, not a lot of horse riding. So, you know, but that's what Tarantino does. He changes his idea of a Western is different than yours. It takes what he's yes. seen from Westerns, but he makes it his own. So For sure. And I think that song, the little beat that it has, it goes perfectly with, with the timing of the scene like the way everything is shot and mm-hmm. everything is like like i know i'm not you know saying it right but it's just every little thing that is shown it goes with the song it's, it's like yeah. perfect you know like it's, yeah. it's uh i wouldn't say uh like it's not super positive or whatever but it is like uncertainty of what's going on but also like reminding maybe the viewers like hey he's still a slave to everybody else in their mind you know? yeah they don't care yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Even so when they I, say he's Freeman, yeah. They they never yeah. really see him as a free man. You know, yeah. even even when he gets into trouble with candy, even though he is free, in their mind, that don't mean shit. Exactly. He was sold. He was sold off to the LaQuint Mining Company and he's a free man. And yes. they, they paid no attention to those papers. That's how yeah. Twelve Years a Slave happened the movie in the real yes, reality. So exactly. We'll move on to song number three and an, another man who will pop up quite a bit in this soundtrack is Louis Bakaloff. Yeah. He comes back with Louis Bakaloff and Eddie Del Orso, and the song is His Name Was King. This song first appeared on the soundtrack for the 1971 Spaghetti Western of the same name. That's right, Richard Harrison and Klaus Kinski. This is the second of three Bakaloff songs to appear on the soundtrack. Now this song plays as Django and Dr. Schultz ride out of Daughtry after Dr. King Schultz has just killed the fucking sheriff and made the marshal pay him money for it. Yeah. That's when Django kind of goes, ooh, okay. Yeah. He's like, this is a different kind of white man. Like, he's a white man <laughs> killing the, the white people. He kind of like seems this. a kindred spirit in him. And this is kind of... And not kind of, this is Dr. King's theme song. This is when we kind of know, if we didn't know that King Schultz was kind of a cool, suave motherfucker from the first scene, when motherfuckers threatened to wing him, and he ended up fucking them up and freeing the slaves, and then they took matters into their own hand. This one definitely shows it. And it's just the calm and cool way he just kind of steps out, shoots the sheriff, and says, now we'll get the marshal. Sits down, drinks his beer, comes out. Whole town is ready to kill him and, and hang Django. That's what they're like, bloodthirsty. Yeah, I love that. Scene. And he comes out and he goes, "Hold on a second. Here's some legal papers. Not only did I, I'm allowed to kill him, you owe me some motherfucking money." That is like some ballsy <laughs> fucking shit in Texas, yeah. no less. No, and you're right because they they play the song after that, you know. So that was perfect. Like, yep. Let's kick it in. And it's a cool fucking song. Yeah. It just has that old Western feel to it. Back when they wrote music, they were like theme songs towards people. Yes. Like with Django, with this, they're actually, and then there's one at the end. Back when you know. There was a song written about the character in the film, and they would sing about it. Almost like, you know, the much, much older days, back in olden times when tales were passed on by singing. Yeah. You know, like they would sing songs about like an event or sing songs about people, and that was how they told the story. This is kind of what that is. It's like passing on the mythology of the characters they're singing about. Yes. So, and that's yeah. what his name was King, and it's a badass fucking little tune. Yeah, man, th- definitely. It's a, one of the songs that I really enjoyed from the soundtrack as well. It's really good. I feel like um, when uh, when we think about Dr. King, especially uh, the introduction, it, it, I feel like he had more than one introduction. It was so long, right? Because yeah. at the beginning, with, with the whole freeing or, or purchasing Django, but we really get to see, like you said, what he's about in that town. And the whole time, Django is like learning about him, but still nervous. You mm-hmm. know, it's really interesting, man, how he handles the whole town. Like seeing the movie, every time I see the movie, I'm more amazed at how 
fearless he was in that town. Like, I'm like, damn, he wasn't afraid at all. <laughs> you know? And the, the other thing is, like, this is like the moment where we get his theme song, but from this moment forward, we start to now, Django starts to become moved to the front, right? Yes. Django's free. He's watching what's going on. And now he's like, you know, now you're going to pick a suit. And now we're going to go to to go find the Brittle Brothers. And then soon as Django fucking starts, I like the way you die, boy. And then starts whipping oh, them. Yeah, boy. Shit. Like, you're like, oh, okay, what's going on? And then he blows up the carriage and kills the KKK in a glorious scene. Then we go on that, like, montage, and we're going to get to that. But then it's like, slowly, then once we start to go to Candy, I mean, it's full on. Yeah. You know, this middle yeah. ground, we get to see, you know, him, uh, you know, King tr- training Django a bit. But really, yeah. he gets the first early third of this movie. And then it's Django's film from that point. Yeah, out, it was like a know? full switch at Candyland. Yeah. Oh yeah, by Candyland, sure. by Candyland, it's all Django. Yeah. But but the minute we pick the blue suit, fucking hilarious. The minute he picks the blue suit and goes riding in, and then, he, and, then, and, then, and then he kills the brittle brother and starts whipping people. You're like, okay, yeah, that, that we're, we're in a whole new territory now. Yeah. And pretty much the beginning of the start for Django to really take over his own movie that he's named after. Yes. And that is actually what kind of what song four will do for us. And that is Freedom from Anthony Hamilton and Elania Boynton. Anthony Hamilton is an American musician, singer, songwriter, and record producer best known for his 2003 studio album, Coming From Where I'm From. He co-wrote the song specifically for the soundtrack with indie soul singer Elania Boynton. This song plays while Django recalls his traumatic experience with the Brittle Brothers whipping Broomhilda. Yeah. What a fucking song. What a song. Hell of a song, dude. Re-listening to this, and I will say to my the listeners, the thing that sucks about some of these fucking soundtracks of his, because he has pulled music from so many other soundtracks, most of the shit you cannot fucking get. Like, in Glorious Bastards, you can't get that fucking soundtrack for shit. Yeah. This one, no, only what, a th- maybe maybe half. Maybe half is available on iTunes. Yes. And again, and I think we talked about it because it's just easier, and some of the music that doesn't get picked up, it's, it's just easier because... Other music is borrowed from other places, and they just don't want to pay for all the rights or whatever it costs or iTunes. I don't know what the whole thing is, but it's a pain in the ass. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like some of these songs, it says not available in your region. I can only imagine that maybe it's available in Europe or somewhere else, mm. somewhere in the region where the movie was. But yeah. there are certain parts you're like, God damn it, you know? Like I really want that fucking song. Yeah, and you can't have it. You know what I mean? Anthony and Anthony Hamilton has an amazing voice. I don't know if you've heard his stuff before. No, no, this this is my first introduction. Listen, now. listen. When I when I remember you talking about uh, Al Green, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, one thing about Anthony Hamilton is that he has a very old, soulful voice. Like, yeah, he's R and B, you know, nineties and now whatever. But he has like a raspiness. It felt like a seventy oh, song. It felt so like a seventy that, soul song, right? That's not, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and, and this is unfortunately one of those songs. This is the first of the songs that you cannot get on the fucking soundtrack on yeah. iTunes. That really pissed me <laughs> off. I was really upset. Really upset. Yeah, right. I was like, you motherfucker. Yeah, I went on, on Spotify to listen. Well, I, I used to have this soundtrack, but I went on Spotify to listen to it again because I was like, well, thanks, iTunes, you know. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, it is what it is. So what what it has forced me to do, whether Tarantino has got some kind of stake in this game, but it forces me now that I have to buy these soundtracks again. Like I had most, but I don't know if I still, you know, once you start getting your digital music, you stop listening to CDs. You don't have CD yeah. players in the car anymore. Exactly. So that means, luckily, with the new computers they have, I still have a digital drive so I can plug in and still down. So I'm going to have to do that. I have to buy them all and upload them so now I can have them all again because it's not the same. Like I want them on my playlist and I can't exactly. listen to them. You know? Exactly. So, but yeah, th- no. This song is this song is on point. This song is perfect, 
and also is how we learn about how they got their scars and he gets sold. Yes. And so that'll bring us to song number five, another Louis Bakalov song, and that's La Corsa, second version. This is the second Bakalov song from the Django soundtrack to appear on this album. This song plays when Django confronts the Brutal Brothers. I like the way Ooh, you die, boy. Yes. He shoots that motherfucker right yes. through his chest, right through his bullshit Bible scriptures. Yeah. And then old scrawny McGonny over there can't get mm. his gun and a whooping yeah. comes. That scene gets better and better. When this debuts, it'll be mid-October. We're recording this about two months in advance. So it is very close to the time that the Alabama chair fight happened. Oh, my God. You know God. what I'm talking about. There's been some glorious pictures out there, but one of them, someone photoshopped the folding chair in Django's hand when he's whipping really? the brittle brother. Yes, it's fantastic. Oh Fantastic. That's good, man. I love the scene. Next time anyone watches the film, don't watch Django. Watch the little black kids up in the um the farmhouse. Watch all the slaves. Watch their reactions. Yes. As like a switch is suddenly flipped in them. Yes. Because never before had they seen someone stand up against the massa, so to speak. Yes. And even Quentin Tarantino wrote it. In a speech that even Calvin gives, how come they don't rise up and kill us? Yeah. It's a fucking excellent question. Because because if you beat someone long enough to take the power of them, they don't feel like they have any power. They're so afraid. And that's you know, that's the kind of what was slavery did is breaking the will of people. Yeah. Django changed that in that moment, not so much with them shooting them. It's the whipping. He turned Whoa. it. They're yes. the ones who were getting whipped. Now they're whipping them. Yeah, that and was that's way a more total powerful. mind yeah. switch right there. That flips you right. Like the song "Freedom" starts playing in your head. Like, yeah, I always kind of wish they played at that point. Like he just whipping them to free. Like he was whooping his ass. I love it. I love that moment. That's fantastic moment. And so we as the viewer don't see it coming, right? Yeah, like because we see, we see the gun, so we like, okay, he's mimicking what he saw King Schultz do. But now you realize this is the first revenge. Like, this Brittle Brothers is who he wants the revenge on. And he whoops that little dude's ass. Every time I watch it again, is that he doesn't stop. When he does the whipping, he doesn't stop. I feel Mm-mm. like, you know, in some of the stories, it'd be like, he would just do it a few times. Okay, we got the point. But no, he kept going like he was unleashing for real. You know, when you were talking about the question that Calvin asked, about why don't they rise up? When we think about how they, they talk about limiting beliefs, how if you believe something is not possible, you're not going to do mm-hmm. it. They talk, remember hearing about the example with the elephant. You can have an elephant like chained up or whatever, but you get to a point that you can just tie him to a little chair and if mm-hmm. he won't even try to leave anymore. And yeah. they could do that with horses or with different, you know, animals because and it's just a belief. And that's mm-hmm. what happens with us. Yes. Well, th- think about the Mandingo fighters. How much bigger are they than every oh, single person? At the, exactly, right? But they don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, he just gets done beating that one guy, and he's like, oh, give him a beer or whatever. And he could have grabbed Calvin by the neck and crushed it in the heartbeat. Oh, he had a fucking that? hammer in his hand. Think about that, yes. too. He, nobody could have stopped him. And, and, and that's the Mm-mm. whole thing that I think happens in, in relationships, and people even do it to their kids, where it's like mm-hmm. that emotional abuse mm-hmm. is so strong. You stripped them of their feel, will. Yeah, exactly. You hit, there you go. But that's, what, but that's what I love about that scene. And look, don't get me wrong. There's a moment of cheering like you wanted, but there's it's more to it. Like there's just, It's just not about whipping them. It's about they took the power back. Yes. I'm not whipping you. You are not whipping me anymore. You're not whipping this girl because she dropped some fucking eggs. I'm whooping your fucking ass. Yeah. And now I'm going to shoot you, bitch. <laughs> yeah. No, that and now was, I'm going to shoot was... this motherfucker right now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Powerful shit, dude. And then that's the real moment that we now see Django. Yeah. The gun is one thing. That's him mimicking. 
It's yes. the whipping that turns everything around, you know, and then he gets to shoot the fucking the rest of Don Johnson's crew later on when he blows up the dynamite. You know, yeah. now it's like, OK, now it's on that little coat moment really becomes like he does another one. You know, just we don't see it. It's just like this yeah. metaphoric one. That's why I love Kids this movie. Natural. This movie's just so good. It's a natural. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That'll move us to song number six. And one of my favorite artists is my parents loved him. And the song is I Got a Name by Jim Croce. This song is a single from Jim Croce's 1973 album of the same name and was the first single of his to be released posthumously. In fact, this single was released the day after his death. Jim, along with five others, were killed when their plane crashed into a tree upon takeoff. The song was featured as the theme song for the 1973 movie The Last American Hero and later in the films The Ice Storm, Invincible, Logan, and the Lego Ninjago movie. It peaked at number 10 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. When we did this Omni Django Unchained 10th anniversary, a buddy of mine called him Jim Christ. We, you know, we sent him to, uh, we sent him for some training. He now knows how to pronounce the last name of Jim Croce. <laughs> this song is fantastic. This song is just one of those, yeah. like, it's a perfect, almost like Butch casting the Sundance Kid kind of song. Because most of the time they're writing, right? So yeah. the song is played when Django and Dr. Stretch are riding on town. You know, he's now got the green coat. I mean, now he is, he's not the scary black man on a horse. He is a confident black man who throws off someone else's saddle, puts his own saddle on because he's been, you know, he paid for it with the money. He is now just every bit as an equal to King Shelton. I like they both yeah. look at each other and they both ride yeah. out. And it's it's such a cool fucking. It's almost a beer commercial, right? Like it's, it's like he, yeah. they're like riding out. And it's mountains. It's almost yeah, like, 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 like Coors Light, yeah. <laughs> the mountains of Colorado. <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but it's a cool little like almost montage of them just riding. You know, they're riding yes. in the snow. And you get that beautiful scenery and. It's the it's the real western shot that he's been waiting to shoot for a long time, and it's just gorgeous. And they're just riding, and this is a great little fucking catchy tune. And you feel upbeat, right? Because we're like, yeah. And now we're gonna get into the upbeat section of the movie, right? Because now we're gonna train, and we're gonna shoot a bunch of white people, and we're gonna collect bounties, and we're gonna go get Broomhilda soon. And we're like, yeah. And then we have no idea the fucking shitstorm that's over oh, the hill right. when the snow melts. We're just like, yeah, Django, you get them. <laughs> it's like, you go, girl. So with, it, with this song, is it like, uh, with I've Got a Name, is it like, well, Django now is more than just the, I the feel like name. that's exactly what he's leaning into. Like, he's more than just it, mm-hmm. more than just a, uh, an N-word, more than just a slave. He's, yep. he's, he's himself. He is now has a name. Yeah. He now is who he is. Wow. Look, none of the songs are unintentional. Everything is, is there. It's got that great, almost John Denver country, you know, quality upbeat song. Yeah, that you would expect well, from the seventies kind of song. It threw yeah. me off when I first saw it. It threw me off because it's the first song that it well from my memory that to me didn't was a didn't different kind of yeah yeah it didn't fit. So the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this is different for Tarantino. And then of course the rest of the film just has. But even though free, I don't know, Freedom had already played. The freedom had already played. By it had this? already played, but that felt. But it was less though because it was. It was. It felt like it was in place because of what it was talking about, right? Because we feel like yeah. that's in there. Yes, that's true. That's true. This is one of those moments you're like, oh, because we just had a real dark subject, right? Well, I mean, we, we freedom. That's, that's probably what and it that's is. all the stuff, you know. Now we're going into slate. I mean, we're in danger the entire time. First part of this movie. Now we're kind of like. Really, the middle section is Tarantino's way of going like, hey, relax. It's all good. Don't worry about like it. Like you said, it's like a beer commercial. So it, yeah. that's probably why it felt out of out of place at first for me. Because it was like almost like. Do you remember the Mentos commercials? I almost feel like when they're shooting, like, I almost should be at the end of him shooting, at the end of him shooting the snowman. It's like Mentos. He said thumbs up. Oh, that would have been hilarious. Oh, man. 
<laughs> but right, yeah. like it has that whole upbeat, like yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, like you're, you're right. like, oh man, we're we're good now. Django's just gonna right, ride in. Man. He's you're gonna right. obliterate all these fucking crackers. We're getting this girl. We're getting the hell out of here. This is yeah. how it's gonna go. And that's good storytelling, right? We, we get a, off. I got a yeah. question for you. So when he convinces him to go to you know to do accompany him for the winter, right? Yeah. And then he says that afterwards he'll take him to Greenville. Mm-hmm. My take. And I wanted to know what your take is. My take is that he's doing that not just because he wants his help, but he doesn't feel like Django's ready to go there yet. Hundred percent. Right? That's what 100%. I always got from it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like even emotionally, like I, I, I think that it wasn't just he's not ready uh, bounty hunter wise, like shooting wise. I felt like he also felt like he wasn't ready emotionally to go. That's what I took as well. I, I think he wanted him to hone his skills. He wanted him to hone his skills yeah. because I think he knew that what they were going to have to do to get her back probably was going to require him to have, like, he had to learn to shoot that kid, his father in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he had to yeah. get over these hurdles of, like, That's true. like he had to lose his moral compass. He needed That's him true. to be like, <laughs> I need you to kill. Teacher. You know, because he needed him to get to that hard edge so that when yeah. he goes and now plays this character that he's asking to play, I mean, he's in charge. I know yeah. King Schultz thinks this, but no, Django's in charge the entire time. You know, yeah. but I think he did need that. And look, I know most people are like, well, why didn't you just go get her? Because you ride off half cocked without a plan and not knowing yeah. if the guy next, you know, they're both dead and then she gets killed. Like, it's yeah. not going to work. Yeah, the one that wasn't ready was King, actually. He ends up not knowing he's not ready. But as far as in the trade of killing people, King Schultz, as we've oh, learned, of course, is very of course. good. Yeah, I, the emotional part is what was, I think, uh, in my take was that because he was always alone before, here, his love for Django is what made him afraid, I think. You know, I also think they needed to learn to work together. They need to build yeah. a relationship, yeah. you know, like, because if you're going to sell that, they work together. They probably needed to work together. How are you going to sell yeah. that? Also, you That's need to true. get Django in that mindset, like, you know, a couple of times Django almost loses it. He may, some may say he wasn't even ready still yet, you know? That's true. That's a good point that he might not have been ready until after mm-hmm. the final, final showdown. Well, because when she should, when, you know, when she's getting out of the hot box, he's ready to shoot. Oof. When she, they, un- she and, the the, and this is, this is where Steven plays his card when he has her show his back. Yeah. That was Steven's, that's, that's Steven's yeah. card. That's his, like, I push yeah. all my chips in the middle of the table, bitch. I'm going to call you bluff. Yeah. When he did that, he could see the reaction. Yeah. He knew they knew each other somehow. Yeah, he confirmed it on his own. Like, he yep. had the suspicions, like you said, but there he was like, okay, let me mm-hmm. let me get it. Let me confirm it, because she, she, she keeps lying to me. But I got a name, great song, great moment, and we're like, oh, everything's going to be great. Da, da, yeah. da, 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 da. Because it leads <laughs> to song seven. Oh, boy, I'm going to try to get this right. E. Giorni Del Rio. Anyways, it's Days of Anger by Riz Ortolani. I'm sure I butchered that Italian. I do apologize. Ortolani was an Italian composer, conductor, and orchestrator of predominantly film scores. The song originally appeared on the soundtrack of the 1967 Spaghetti Western, Day of Anger, starring Lee Van Cleef. Selections of Riz's scores have also appeared in Kill Bill Vimes 1 and 2, as well as the film Drive. This song plays during our montage of Dr. Schultz teaching Django how to shoot and realizing that, ah, all he had to do was give the kid just a little few lessons, and now he's like the quickest <laughs> yeah. gun in the West. Yeah. He's lighting motherfuckers up. And that's where we could have done the Mentos show. commercial. Mentos fresh. <laughs> right right by the snowman. Yeah, when, when he shoots the snow in the dick. <laughs> King shoots like Mentos. <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> I think it's at that moment he realizes that Django is a worthy, shit, not even worthy partner. He realizes that Django has 
the skill. And like we talked about, and you know, my friend Steve doesn't agree, but whatever, fuck Steve. But uh, we talked about how, you know, there are people in the community, the black community that like sway from Chicago. He used to be an MTV VJ and now, you know, still a DJ out there. Talked about how this is this is before obviously Black Panther came out. So he always felt that this is one of the first black superheroes and that the power, the skill that Django has is his ability to shoot. That's his superhero oh. ability kind of thing. Is that what and that's what we learned. With? I'm not good. Listen to that episode <laughs> and curmudgeonly, Steve. Not everyone has to see things the same way. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, some people might say, like, oh, fuck you. You don't try. Anyway, if you do see it as him possibly being a superhero in a way, this is his skill set. This is where he learns of his powers, his ability to shoot quickly and very, very, not only confidently, but the man's yeah. a fucking sharpshooter. He's knocking motherfuckers up the box. So this is where we learn that. And I think that's when he's like, okay, all right. I mean, Batman's a superhero. He doesn't have no uh, super strength. Well, I mean, I think Batman's more of a uh, mentally challenged or mentally damaged human being who just beats up on people to feel better because his parents no, but died. I, I, what I mean is no, I know what you mean. Have, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have like super superpower strength yeah. or any. His ability is to think. Yeah, yeah he's got to. Yeah. yeah. You know, look, Steve's just, you know, he's setting his ways off. He's all. Yeah. No, and I've heard. You um, know what it is? After, if you do 12 episodes here, you probably get beat down after a while. You know, he's. <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard more than just Sway say that. I've heard people that I know, maybe they got it from Sway as well. But uh, it's also because of what it represents, right? Because, the, like, when you see, um, I know this is towards the end of the movie, that guy, the way he sees Django riding away in the horse, and then you see. That he smiles mm-hmm. a little bit, and that part got me watching it again because he was the one that was giving. Yeah, he saw him as one thing and then realized he was giving him talk at the beginning. Yeah, he's the one who looks at him. You, yeah. you eyeball me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So to see that the way he smiled, I was like, man, he he saw he saw so many possibilities, and that's mm-hmm. what 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 somebody being that change can do, right? Mm-hmm. Be a possibility that you can see in them, like, wow, I can be that. Or there's hope for us, or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, uh, that part was fucking powerful, dude. Yeah, and, and it's hard to say that someone's you know not a hero if someone sees him as a hero, right? Yeah. I mean, we idolize sometimes the most ridiculous of people. Yeah. For things, so say that again. <laughs> but after this small happy moment, we get song number eight, the coldest motherfucking song in my opinion on this album, "One Hundred Black Coffins" <sighs> from Damn. Rick Ross. This song was written by Jamie Foxx and performed by American rapper Rick Ross, specifically for the soundtrack, making it one of four original recordings for this film, a first for a Tarantino film up until this point. It is unclear why this song isn't available on the soundtrack in iTunes. This song plays as Django and Schultz riding the camera, and when this song plays, this is playing as right after he's, you know, basically told them all, <laughs> it's... <laughs> One of my favorite scenes when he gets off the horse and pulls that cracker off and breaks his collarbone, and then yeah. uh, Candy has to no, I saw the whole thing. He, I saw the whole thing. <laughs> he broke my goddamn collarbone. <laughs> I saw the whole thing. Oh, it was appropriate or something like love that. It. Oh, I was like, what? I mean, how Jamie Foxx wasn't uh, nominated for an Academy Award, it's just fucking a travesty. Yeah. But this role, I mean, from from <laughs> what, from me and Mild, right? From Meek and Mild, Django who's in chains and a blanket and barely wants to say his name again at the beginning of the movie, to this yeah. moment, holy fuck, and then this song kicks in as they're like kind of riding up. 
I was ready. Like I was like, let's go, Django. Let's go. Let's go and rule right into the gates of healthy. Like I was like charged up when this song kicks in. I kind of wish it played longer. You know what I mean? Like I was so yeah. charged. Yeah, well, that song was one of the surprises for me of the album of the soundtrack because I was like, damn, this shit hits and it fits. Well, here's what sucks. It was made for the so- uh, soundtrack. And it's not on the fucking, I'm looking at my iTunes right now. It's not fucking on there. It's grayed out. Get it together, iTunes. But then you want to give us. What? Well, what the fuck? They made the song for what? what but they, you want to give us. Go to Rick Ross. The- you go to his essentials. <laughs> not there either. Look at my Hunter Black Coffee. You can't find it. But there is a way to get it us- off YouTube. You can get an illegal <laughs> yeah, YouTube. rip. And, uh, and, and Spotify. I know people have ripped it. I know people. <laughs> Napster, because that. <laughs> fuck Spotify. I want to be able to have it. I don't want to have to go to a playlist. I want I hear you. All right? I, hear I don't want to listen 100%. to someone sell me fucking socks, and then I can listen to the song. I want to have it all the time. That's why I don't really listen to Spotify. It's because of that. Like, I'm just saying, I want to have the song at my disposal all the time. And maybe that's just an old head, right? Like, kids nowadays don't give a shit about that, and that's perfectly fine. You listen to music however you listen to music. But this old head wants fucking 100 Black Coffins. Yeah. Download it on a song to listen to Preach. whenever I fucking want. Preach, so make that happen, right? <laughs> but the thing is, it's made for the soundtrack. Why is it not available? It's an actual song. <laughs> it's an actual song that was made for this. And it's not available. But you don't have an actual answer to that one. It's the same I don't have crap. an answer to this one. All the other ones I can give you a good answer for, right? Like Jim yeah. Croce's not available, but that's probably because you can get it off his greatest hits or whatever, and they didn't yeah, want to yeah. pay extra royalties. That's fine. And some of these others that you can't get are probably off of the fact that they're from other soundtracks. And so it's just they don't want to deal with the royalties and split. So they're like, you know what? They paid for it to get it on the actual hard copy. If you want it that way, that's why. So probably the streaming thing's got a whole other mm. fucking red tape bullshit they don't want to deal with. So I get it. But God damn it. <laughs> That's how I feel. I feel just like you about Spotify. Like, I'm glad the podcast, uh, Bachata Talk is on there. But when I listen to music, I got my playlist, man. Like, I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, listen to music however you do. Honestly, whoever does it, what's, whatever. I want I, I'm an old head. On, I, I want my playlist on iTunes yeah, that I can listen I want to whatever my, I want. I don't just want the playlist. Like, if I want to listen to just that song, I want to be able to listen. I don't want to go through a playlist and, li- you know, I want to just yeah. listen to this song. But unfortunately, that's not available yet. But I took care of that. Anywho. <laughs> hey. All the black coffins. Oh, so I don't have to answer the questions then, so I'll wait for yours. But this, I think, is my favorite song. I mean, this and another one coming up. But I fucking love this song. It just brought yes. that edge to it, that mood to it. It was the right moment for the what we're watching. And Rick Ross's voice. And it's just. Yeah. yeah it, fit, it fit. It was the surprise of the. Of the album for me. He's from your neck of the woods, too. Yeah, yeah. My brother used to listen to him a lot when he was coming up. That's that's how I know, because I don't listen to hip-hop all the time, really. That's actually how I know who he was. <laughs> that takes us to song number nine, which is Nicaragua by Jerry Goldsmith featuring Pat Metheny. This song was originally featured on the soundtrack for the 1983 American political thriller Under Fire, starring Nick Nolte and Gene Hackman. Jerry Goldsmith was an American composer and conductor, best known for his work in TV and film scoring. Most notably, he scored five of the Star Trek films and three of the Rambo films, along with Chinatown, Alien, Poltergeist, Gremlins, Total Recall, and LA Confidential. Now, this is the second song that plays on the way in, so it's an interesting change, and I think it had to change. As much as I love the Black Coffins song, we can't have 100 Black Coffins when we've got Steven. This is 
This is for those of you who aren't paying attention. This is when the real mano y mano game of chess is about to start being played. Yeah. And Django, who we think is a bad motherfucker for what he just did, this dude yeah. is a king chess player. Is this when we first see Steven? This is when Steven, we come riding in through the yeah. gates and Steven sees him. And then he's up on the perch and he looks out and you can see his face. He sees Django on a horse and he's like, mm-mm. I'm top dog around here. I'm the one fooling these white folks. You're not coming in here. You're not yeah. fucking this up for me. You know, you could tell immediately. Dude, I, I, I never forget the first time I saw Steven's face. Uh, Samuel Jackson, man. It, this is the first time that I saw him looking old as fuck. <laughs> like, in anything he ever played. Well, Samuel Jackson even said he wanted to be the most hated character yeah. in black cinema. Yeah. He wanted black people to hate this character more than any character they've ever laid their eyes on. And the great thing is when he and Jamie Foxx are going back and forth, I can't tell if Leonardo's laughter is because he's acting or if it's just that the shit these two are fucking saying yeah. to like going at each other. Yeah. <laughs> Snowball, yeah. you want to know my name? My horse's name, yeah. you ask me. Who's I this? Phone <laughs> that neck. It's just like. But it says so much about their relationship, too. Uh, with uh, with Calvin, because when he's like, oh, he's getting up in age. I forget what he says. And so I'm like, man, you get to see like he just sees his like as an old grand grandparent. He goes, did you miss me? He goes, I miss because he says I miss you like a rock, yeah, rock. rock and a shoot. Like <laughs> Stephen's so good too, is because when he feels that Calvin's getting angry, he knows to pull yeah, back. He like knows he, to go back knows... to the yes master thing, right? Like think of the four people in that fucking scene, and the guy who wins the Academy Award doesn't say a fucking word in that moment because you've got Sam L. Jackson going against Jamie Foxx. With Leonardo DiCaprio sitting there going back and forth. And King Schultz is just sitting there like, yeah. you know, like it was just a great moment not to have Christoph Waltz character say anything because he shouldn't. It's one of those scenes. I mean, you think the movie's fantastic up until this. It's almost like a whole nother movie when this moment starts. Yes. Because now we really get Leo and we get Sam and now these guys are bringing, I mean, they're throwing haymakers in these scenes. Did they get nominated together? Sam and Leo? No. Not even? Only Leo and um, Christoph Waltz. Oh, wow. I mean, uh -huh. to be honest, I would have given it to Leo out of those two. Leo deserved it out of those two. Yeah. But I wanted, I wanted all three to be. And it, then how did Jamie Foxx not get uh, nominated for Best Actor? He, well, he had to. He was the lead role. And, and I don't know how he didn't get nominated because we've seen so many. Well, I think we know how. But <laughs> don't get me wrong. Leo deserved his nomination. Christoph Wolf deserved his nomination. Yeah. No doubt. But those weren't the only two guys acting in this fucking in the frame. Yeah. The two black gentlemen were fucking killing it. And some might say even acting these gentlemen off fucking screen at some points. I think Samuel Jackson and Leo DiCaprio would have been a tougher race if I had to pick between them two. Agreed. You know? The only thing that pushes it over for Leo is the dinner table scene. <laughs> right? That's that's no where yeah. he steps and that's where he steps above even Christoph Waltz in that moment. He steps yes. above both of those gentlemen. Much agreed, However, yeah. for the full length of the film, no one's putting on the acting job that Jamie Foxx is for the full length of yeah. the film. Yeah. From I barely can speak slave to walking out in Calvin's fucking yeah. outfit, blowing up things, yeah. making his horse do a trick. Come on. I, I can't remember another character in all of cinema taking that big of a fucking turn, that big of an arc. No, and, and actually, you have Tommy Lee Jones who won an Oscar for The Fugitive. And it's like, where, where's more range? You see it, you know? know? What was Jada that they, they did? <laughs> no, really? Really? Will Smith slapping her own people? <laughs> yeah. That's why I didn't care for her little protest, because she only did it for her own personal reasons. <laughs> 
Anyway, anyway it's not a Jada Smith podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we know. That takes us to song number 10, Sister Sarah's Theme, by Mr. Ennio Morricone. This is the second Morricone song from the film Two Mules for Sister Sarah to appear on the soundtrack. This song plays as Calvin's men remove Broomhilda from the hot box. Now, yes. people have said that Kerry Washington and also Margot Robbie have kind of been slighted in their roles in Tarantino films because they don't say a whole lot or have a whole lot to do. It's hard as a male to make a statement based on that because, you know, I get the argument. However, with Margot Robbie, she is trying to introduce an entire generation of people who do not know the real life person she's playing who was also then butchered. It's almost like some people said it's almost as if they brought her back to life in that role. Even her essence, the way she smiles and puts her feet up. There's just something about it that her performance without saying anything brought so much to the role. I felt the same about Kerry Washington. I felt the moments we get of her, she kills them. The way she looks fearful. Yes, Steven, extremely fearful. But then the change in how she's like giddy when she realizes Django. A D may be silent, but he D'd every <laughs> single motherfucker in that building. Like, she's like, yeah. this is my ride or die. And I believe that if this story were to continue, I feel like she herself grows in power. Yeah, we would have seen that powerful. I agree, because she's definitely not a... Uh, she's definitely not a coward. And she's somebody who kept, kept uh, trying to run. But she was not afraid. So she was definitely brave. However, I think we're supposed to see her as a damsel, right? Aren't we supposed, like, we're trying, we're coming to save her. That's the story. It's the stupid Cinderella, save the girl from the mountain. It's yeah. the Broomhilda story that he talks about. Yeah. We got we to go through fire and take on a dragon to get her off the mountaintop. It's, this isn't like, you know, some modern day story where a woman needs a man to help her. This, this, <laughs> they needed an army to, to get her yeah. out of there for the, you know, considering what they are. Well, like you said, it's slave time. So even Django required the help of, uh, of Dr. King. Yeah. You know? It's not that he was asking for it, but it happened. But without him, he might not have done that. So he still got help. And we won't get into the fact that Dr. King almost blew the whole fucking thing. You know, you know? <laughs> just shake his fucking hand. Yeah. Shake the fucking hand and eat the white cake. Get the fuck out of there. Right? Just eat the white cake. <laughs> get the fuck out of there. Anyways. That thing about um, that you were, the story of Brunhilde, um, I felt like that, that represents uh, Django basically making that decision. Like, whatever I got to do. Like, he was locked in. Because she was worth it. And we have to see how much it is. Because we have to see her get whipped. We have to see that she got branded. We have to see that she was in the hot box. We have to see these things to know the horrible things she's been going through. And then understand that Django has been free for some of this time while these things are happening. We have to feel that. If we know more about her... Maybe we lose that. We just need to have yeah. her image made up in our mind. You know what I mean? We need to see her as the damsel in distress. And I don't mean yeah. that. It's like she can't help herself. Exactly. She portrayed it all. And speaking of portraying something without speaking, when Dr. King sees her for the first time, that moment, there is a moment that you see that he sees something in her. And it's like, again, he sees why she's worth it. He sees mm-hmm. why Django's doing this. And it is when he says that, because he says something when, when the doors first open. But when he says that, he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's when she looks up and sees him. Because before, she's ignoring him. She doesn't want to look, because she's imagining that she's going there for sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's just another white guy, yeah, and then he just wants to talk German. But when he speaks, I think she she felt the genuine... Uh, she, she I don't think that she understood what was happening, but he was telling the truth. I've heard so many good things about you. Yeah. And I can tell, blah, 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 you know. He was speaking the truth. He was talking about Django, you know? And I think also she realizes this is just like when that white woman saw Django writing. She realizes that the faces she's been surrounded by have not looked at her 
as a person. She's an object. Wow. Even if she's attractive, he saw her as a person. Now wow. he sees her as a as a beautiful woman, regardless of her skin color. And she's now starting to see maybe everything I also think isn't the same. That there is a man out there. I mean, he's putting his life in extreme danger yes. to save her, you know? So that sometimes it takes that. It takes these dramatic moments, these traumatic moments for us to be involved in, for sometimes to change people's opinions and people's minds. You know, they have to sometimes be thrown into some real tumultuous situations to realize yeah. some of the things I think may not always be 100% the case. And that's kind of what yeah. starts to happen in this film. She understands that there's a white man who doesn't see her as just some pretty black slave who can be used for his desires yeah. just as enamored to be in the same room almost as if he's not worthy to be in her presence kind of thing that's wow. something she's never felt before you know yeah. but that song because i mean that's the first time jingle almost loses it she's coming yeah. out of the hot box she's like you know what but <laughs> the hot these motherfuckers right now man that was a crazy scene man almost as crazy as what song 11 leads us to <laughs> song 11 this is the first ennio morricone collaboration with tarantino official collaboration Oh, wow. That would then spark the one that would come three years later. But it's Encore Qui from Ennio Morcone and Eliza. This is the third song recorded specifically for the soundtrack. The music was composed by Ennio Morcone with lyrics written and performed by Italian singer Elisa. Another version of the song was included on her 2013 album, La Anima Vola, which peaked at number one on the Italian album chart. Morcone suggested to her that she let herself be inspired by her memories, sparking her to think about one of her childhood friends who died of leukemia. And this song is heard when the house slaves are setting the table for dinner. It's a perfect little classical kind of piece. Yeah. It's really well done. It's beautiful, but there adds a little tension because we all know. Yes, tension, we all know. We, and if it's the first time you see the movie, we know that this is the moment. We know something's going to happen. We know they're not going to get out of there with her. You just know it's not going to happen, but you're just not sure how or why. You don't know if it's going to be like as a riding out. Like, you just know somehow, fucking Stephen, you just know fucking Stephen, that snake mm. in the grass is going to figure this out somehow. And something's going to go tits up, as my English friends say. <laughs> and this song is that little, like, it's, you know, it's just nice and you, it calms you. It's like, oh, the calm before the storm. Yes. You just think, oh, all right, everything's going to be great. You know, and even the dinner starts good and people are laughing and Black Hercules and all the ha ha ha. And Stephen's <laughs> like, Parroting everything, what's his name says. Yeah, like right next to him. Oh, yeah. and he's going into the biggest shuck and jive type of character ever. And you don't realize how genius he is until he does the turn later on, like a few minutes later when they're in there. He's sipping, and he's the one sitting, sipping the brandy. Thank you, Steven. Like, he's wow. telling Kenny. It's just I like a minute so ago, he's like, yes, man. And he's like shucking and jiving, and he's like, yeah. Panache. You know, he's being hilarious. And you're like, what is going on? And then you realize, like, this dude is fucking deviant. Dude, when, 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 I love when he, um, when he was doing the laughing and, oh, oh no, sorry, when he was asking him to go check on the dessert, but then he said, I mean, the library, like super low mm -hmm. and Calvin caught it. And it's like what you said earlier, when he feels Calvin's anger, he backs down, but it's like, he knows that Calvin is too about image. He knows that Calvin's going to fight back more with, with company. So he obviously does more of the controlling in private because he can control a Calvin more there. Calvin's not worried about an audience, you know? Well, St St Steven's put himself in a good position. Steven has put him in a position where he doesn't care about slaves. He cares about Steven. And Calvin knows that he can trust Steven because Steven likes his lot. You know, he likes his position at the table. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, even the white folks who work for him realize that Steven runs the show. Like, he's got this down. Almost as if, like, they're afraid that Steven could actually get the slaves to turn on them. You know what I mean? It's, it's like that weird, like, at any minute, Steven could flip, the, could turn the tables on them. Because why else would they listen to him? Like, literally, he walks in on Billy Crass about to yeah. cut off Django's nuts, and he tells Billy to stop. Understand wow. that. A black man, a black slave, told a white man to stop doing what he was doing. A crazy motherfucker right? at that. Right? 
But you, you know, you, you start to really look at it, and Stephen is running things way more than anyone understands. But Calvin understands. I think it makes Calvin fine. He's like, you know, you handle this, and just let me be Calvin Candy. Let me have my fun, do whatever I want to do. Yeah, damn man, that's some yeah. good shit. It sets you up. And then, of course, we get the dinner scene. This is just such a nice precursor. This little song, slowly but surely, that fucking that dinner goes sideways. And then, fucking the guy with the fucking fantastic beard just can't fucking shake hands and eat his fucking white cake. But if he didn't, we wouldn't get this great mashup at song twelve, which is Unchained, the Payback, Untouchable, with James Brown and motherfucking Tupac. This song is a mashup of the 1973 James Brown song, The Payback, and the Swiss Beats remix of Tupac's 1996 song, Untouchable. I was listening to the car the other day, and all I could see is Django walking through the hall, just fucking lighting yes. a white man up to after white man. Just pow, pow. And I love the choices that uh, Tarantino made with the shooting, how the blood is almost like, like gooey almost. Yes. Like, interesting yes. choices he makes. Like, he has these movies where I remember my dad seeing uh, Reservoir Dogs, and he was like, man, that's... That's really realistic. Like, mm-hmm. what movie are you watching? And then, of course, people complain, or you know, the the non fans will talk about Kill Bill, or they'll talk about. Let's say maybe they might say something about Django, but they don't know it's intentional. I'm like, you know, he did that on purpose, yeah. right? <laughs> they don't know what's going on. They grab onto little bylines. You know, that's yeah. kind of what happens in American now. Anyway, you hear someone say one thing, you don't look it up. Shut the fuck up. Where's Django? <laughs> Get Django in here to shoot this motherfucker. <laughs> oh, and, and as, as far as from that choice of um, of the blood and stuff, my fa- one of my favorite things, uh, film wise. It's all the, the close-ups he does. The oh, yeah, the, the zoom-ins. The, the, yeah, the, I love yeah. it every yeah. time. Those were used in the Westerns and in the in the Kung Fu films. They were just they're but, great, those snap yeah, zooms. Exactly. When the guy saw Django at the bar, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that <sighs> zoom was his shock. It was perfect. <laughs> oh, man. The great moment about this is because, obviously, he shoots Calvin. Down goes Calvin. And then Steven, he comes and he's crying and he holds him and then, you know, takes the double barrel shotgun to the chest and we watch him slam into the bookshelf in slow mo. But he's holding Calvin and crying like, you're like, holy shit. And then all of a sudden this kicks in and he's just fucking lighting that fucking place up, lighting them up. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah, it was insane, dude. And when I was at the movies and, and uh, Stephen let out that scream, people were just laughing, mostly black people, because they were like, look at this guy crying, <laughs> you know? Which is what he wants, right? Yeah. He wants to be the Uncle Tom character. He wants to be yeah. so hated. And that's yeah. that's what you want. Like, when we get to the end, and he's like, I count two, six shots, oh, he's yeah. like, I two guns. All of that, you want that. That's the mano a mano. It's a great thing, though, right? Because we get this whole, poor Sam Jackson plays the worst character. In black cinema, and then plays one of the best in Hateful Eight. Major yes. Mark West, the white man sucking a black dick. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the reason, the, yeah, yeah, I think the reason why Steven is not the most hated character in history is because of Samuel Jackson, and he's so damn liked in real life. I know, I know, but <laughs> but that, but that character, Steven. No, he did, he did his job. I'm talking about about people people hating the man. He's so likable that uh, Samuel Jackson. That I feel like that's why people won't end up hating Steven. They just dislike the character. I guess I can speak for myself, you know, because people will still like something that the character does. Like, man, he's smart. He's the one running the show. And and almost like 
appreciate he what he did, right? But they'll yeah. appreciate it instead of hate him because Samuel Jackson, <laughs> you know? It was like another shitty-ass motherfucker that we like, man, fuck Steven, you know? Which maybe some people thought so. Oh, too. man, but this song, James Brown and fucking Tupac together, I mean, that and the 100 Black Cassocks, man, they just fucking, mm, they just start punching, right? They just like, it's like Rocky. Yeah. It's almost like the Eye of the Tiger's <laughs> playing, you know? You're like, oh, let's go. Like, it's hard not to get pumped. It, it is pumped. It is pumped. Uh, it's like, like I said, man, it's like, fuck, man, it just, it just hits you, and I was not expecting it. Like, man, but this is fucking perfect right now. Like, there's no way this doesn't fit. I know we're in the 1800s, mm-hmm. but this shit is what needs to be being played right now, you know? It's a brilliant fucking moment, and that music worked. And that's what I love about it, because you don't know where the movie's going. You don't know how things are going in Tarantino films, and you don't know what music's coming next, right? You just don't know. No. But he already has this planned out. And he's like, I think this is going to work. And all of a sudden, you're just sitting in the theater, and you're like, oh, shit, did he just get shot? And like, what's going to happen now? And then all of a sudden, he pulls out his guns, and he shoots the... Fr- and then all of a sudden, they start playing the song, and you're like, this is perfect. You know, like, you're like, this yeah. is the moment. Like, this is yeah. this is the moment, you know? And you don't know what's coming, but as soon as it happens, just like with 100 Black Caskets, you just you know, he just talks all this shit to not only the white people, but now all the black people. He's like... Do you think these crackers are bad? I'm like, oh, I'll put a foot up your ass. And he's like, holy shit. And then I was like, the hundred black cats. And you're like, whoa. And it's just those perfect marriage of sight and sound that Tarantino does. It just, it's what I love about these soundtracks. You know, a lot of the soundtracks when I was younger, I liked the song in the film. And so I wanted to hear the song, but I never married it to the film. If that makes sense. Right. Like, you yeah. know, I, oh, I like that song. It was from this film. And so I liked the song more than I liked the film. But now it's like these songs and the film, they're married together. So when I hear the song again, I'm transported right to that moment in the film. And sometimes I'm like, damn, I'm going to go and watch this. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you're like, yeah. you hear Hunter Black Cast, you're like, uh, we're watching Django tonight. I hear you. <laughs> you I know? hear you on that. That's a, that's a, that's a song that did its fucking job. <laughs> and, and the thing is, like, you know, you always talk about the needle drops and, and you always say that there's nobody that does it like Tarantino. And I agree with that. So that's my standard, man. When, when I think of, like, how this show uses music, man, I like the show, but they don't have nothing on, on Tarantino, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes they do a good job. But some, for the most part, I'll be honest, I feel like they don't. I'm like, I don't even know why they played anything there. I could have gone, you know. But the music does such a difference. It, 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 there are times that it does, the, the lyrics don't have to fit, but the music itself moves you. And brings a tone or a feeling in in, in, in this certain editors or filmmakers, directors, or writers, right? That they just know how to write a scene with music. Because maybe they write to the music first. They hear the music first and then the scene comes. Whatever, you know? But I don't think that you can be taught that, you know? I think that's something that you have, dude. And that brings us to song 13, the last of the four songs that was created for this album. And that's Who Did That To You by John Legend. Another surprise for me. This song is the fourth and final song recorded specifically for the soundtrack. It was written by John Legend under his real name of John Stevens and Paul Epworth and recorded by John Legend. Epworth is an English record producer and songwriter who has worked with Adele, Florence and the Machine, Rihanna, Bruno Mars, Coldplay, U2, Mumford and & Sons, and Paul McCartney. He won an Oscar along with Adele for the song Skyfall. This song plays after Django has killed the men from the LaQuint Dickey Mining Company. You can walk in, D'Artagnan, motherfuckers! <laughs> and, yeah. And he heads to Candyland, and this is where... We've just seen Broomhilda be led into that room and closed in, and she's petrified. I got to feel Stephen has just thought he's gotten rid of Django, mm-hmm. and he yes. does not like Broomhilda. 
And the only person who seemed to protect her a bit was also Candy. Now, I can't prove any of this, but if I'm, if I'm going to get in his headspace, she's put in that room because she's now a comfort girl. And I got a bad feeling a lot of people are going to be visiting her in succession to show her who's in charge around here. Now that Calvin's dead, who's not going to protect her. And now that Django, as in his mind, is out of the picture and there's no one here to save her anymore. He's not, because she was going to stay in that hot box for 10 days. He was pissed yeah. that she got pulled out. I think this is the ultimate, in my mind, why she is so scared is she knows Steven's vindictive and it's going to get awful bad for her. Before he probably ends up either really killing her or do another sting in the hot box. I think death is too quick and too easy for her. That's think about true. That. Because yep. he didn't want to kill her. Yeah. That's true. That'll be the story of you. And so when we see him walk up, and that's why I love that Who Did That To You song. I mean, again, another choice moment. Yeah. I knew in the film that was him, right? I knew that was him. Obviously, she's not supposed to know that's him. She's supposed to be fearful. And so we all know that's probably him. But it would have been interesting if, if we had gotten it differently. Exactly. It would have been interesting if he freed her first and then... Ki- well, so if we had thought that someone else was showing up and not Django, I think that gotcha. scene may have been a little bit more powerful. You know what I mean? It may have oh, resonated. Yeah, for sure. Because we would have been, we would have, we would have been having the fear. Well, not the same fear, but we would have been in fear with I'm, her. I'm, and I'm also glad that we didn't have to have a moment where she was almost raped. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad we we sidestepped that too. Like, you yeah. know, I I prefer him just showing up and nothing happening as opposed to like he gets at the nick of time because then that feels almost like a like cheap. Yeah. But at the same time, also, you don't. This woman's been through a lot as it is. You know. And I think that's why Tarantino probably didn't do it, because yeah. that's just not, his, that's probably, not his lexicon. He's not going to keep that up. And I think he knows that she has been raped probably hundreds oh, of times. Oh, we all know. We all know. Yeah. Yeah, we, so, we, we all know. Yeah, so I don't think he needs to say that. I think Django knows, too, but he keeps it out of his mind. Yeah, when he says he's a comfort girl, he knew. He knows. He knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That song, uh, uh, Who Did That To You? I, I believe I heard that he introduced that song much the same way that Cinelectric did, right? Through a recording? Yes, he did. Sin. Good old Shout out sin. to Sin Electric. Good old yeah. Sin. Yeah, that's what I, I heard that he did that, that John Legend did that. And I and I like John Legend's voice too, because he also has a soulful voice, even though Very he's a newer singer. But man, I didn't I was not expecting him to be on a Tarantino soundtrack. You know, and, and I, I I did this shit in karaoke a few times, dude. That's how much I like good this song. song. <laughs> oh, it's a damn good yeah, song. Yeah, powerful, dude. You know, if it fits, like all these songs, I'm, I'm, it's it like a broken record. They all fit for the moment. Like, and I know yeah. that if you're if you're a Tarantino detractor, you're tired of hearing it. But look, then stop watching this fucking movies. I don't have to tell you. Hey. If you don't like them, then don't then don't watch them. They don't watch them. You fucking yeah. wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just are because there's nothing in here that you can show me that's, that's that changes that. Show me some kind of proof that these things don't work. If there's something better, all right, go ahead. Find me someone who does this better. Look, sometimes some of the songs are a little too on the nose. All right, sure, maybe the titles are almost too on the nose, but they work. But in the moment that you're watching the song, the, the, or I mean, I'm sorry, the movie, and you don't know the name of the song, you don't know that's right on the nose. Yeah, right when Jim exactly. Croce started playing, did you know it was I've Got a Name? No, no. you didn't fucking know it was I Got a Name. No, no fucking glue. Like uh, my, one of my favorite bachata groups says, uh, if he's not the best, then who is? Exactly. Exactly. What Frank said, motherfuckers. D'Artagnan, motherfuckers. <laughs> exactly. We'll shoot you in the dick, too. Be careful. The Django. Little Billy Crass. <laughs> Who may or may not have been gay. Kind of kind of alluded to there at the end there. It was kind of... What, the, the whole uh, moonlight coming? No, no, no. After he's holding his balls and he walks up, like he puts the thing in, he kind of walks up with a little bit of a bent wrist, kind of like sashays yes, out. Yes, yes. I was like, okay, maybe it was. Who knows? 
Yeah, that's or or, or and Goggins flair because he's amazing. But it leads to song fourteen, <laughs> and this is this really fits for me now. Too old to die young, that's for sure. I'm too old to die young now. From Brother Deg. Brother Deg, aka Deg Leg, is a Grammy-nominated Southern rock musician from Louisiana. His musical style consists of Southern psychedelia and Delta blues. This song was handpicked by Tarantino himself and can be found on his 2010 album, Folk Songs of the American Long Hair. And this song kicks in as Django kills the members of Calvin's crew responsible for the death of D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan, motherfuckers. Yeah. Love it. When he kicks that door in, right? Sometimes you enjoy fan service. (laughs) Listen, as I said on the episodes from season one, the moments that the, uh, the slave owners... And the KKK guys are killed. They're fun, cartoonish, unbelievable, lots of blood, crazy violence. Don't matter if the horse can see you know, all this ridiculous yeah. stuff with the hoods and the eyes. And they make fun of them. And so then they kill them in glorious, just wild abandoned fashion. However, when we look at the actual violence portrayed onto the black members of this film, they're very serious, very real moments. Yes. The Mandingo fight is brutal. Incredibly brutal. Fucking brutal. D'Artagnan's death. Thank God they only showed what they showed because I exactly. Yeah, it's it's bad as it is. It's a lot like the ear cutting scene because yeah, in, your, in your mind it's worse than it is. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, you can hear the noise too. and everything, and then the way they're all hooting and hollering. Like there's uh, there's few scenes in any of his films that make my blood boil and make me want to fucking murder people more than that scene. And then to have him ride in and just fuck them up. I almost wish he. And again, Tarantino says he's never hurt animals on screen, which is good, obviously. But there's a part of me wanting to kill them fucking dogs. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm a dog first, and I own dog. But those dogs were horrible and need to be put the fuck down. So yeah, he that's didn't do true. that. That's that I'm, I'm surprised. Uh, Doesn't he, he will that, not? Keep, he will not that, go that, that. No, no, no. But so he even. But he. But he he's, did he's it talked with about. It. He will. That's a bread. Well, again, if it's um, if it's a moment. That requires it, but like he won't, he doesn't like to hurt animals or have them killed in the movies for just for having oh, sense. So, Obviously, the so horse. He would, so he wouldn't have done it even off screen. Like, oh, he would like, have killed those serious. dogs. Gotcha. The horse, okay. the horse was a way to, it's the only way King Schultz, if you think about it, the other guy who drew on him, so he shot him, but the brother didn't. So the only way to disarm him is he shot the horse. Gotcha. Broke his leg, so he doesn't kill, they kill him. So technically, it was, he did nothing illegal. Gotcha. He always kept his code. Except at the end, and we broke his code. Almost gets everyone killed. God damn it! God damn it, King. So, but yeah, too old to die young. Great moment. He comes riding into town, riding in there. All <laughs> shoots the one right in the dick stands up. Oh my god! Yeah, a lot of penis traumas sometimes in these movies, and good for him. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, fucks them all up. D'Artagnan motherfuckers love it. That should be a shirt. I think I'm gonna make no, a shirt that says D'Artagnan motherfuckers. That would, no, that's a good one, dude. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. The the real ones know. The real ones know. And it's a great, it's a great fucking tune. Great fucking yeah. tune. Love it. And we know at that moment, you know, you're at the end. You're like, okay, got out of the Quint Dinky. Okay. We know it's coming. We Here know. We yeah. Go. We know we're getting a payoff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I actually love the song. I actually really enjoy the song. Like I have it. It's one of the ones you can actually get. And I actually have it on my playlist and I really enjoy it. It's very, very good. <laughs> and every time I hear it, I always just say, D'Artagnan, you motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. You got to. <laughs> it's like a call and response. You got it. And and it's like a, it's like a, a what is it? It's it, it rides after the other one, right? Right. It's after who did that to you? It's before right? actually. It's actually before it because he rides in and shoots them first, and then gets yes. her out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, man. That's like two mm-hmm. great songs back to back right there. <laughs> and actually, it's weird because we're going in reverse order here <laughs> because song fifteen 
Un Momento. I'm sorry. Un Monumento by Ennio Morricone, the last song from him. Yeah, that's like Monument. This song originally appears on the soundtrack for the 1967 Sergio Corbucci Spaghetti Western, The Hellbenders. It is one of seven films that Morricone has scored for Corbucci. The song that plays when Django rides back into the actual barn, says goodbye to King Schultz's body, and grabs her papers, and then goes to rescue Broomhilda. So yeah. kind of like goes that song, this song, and then who did that to you? I love that song, man, because it's that whole. Um, is that the one? That's the next track. Yeah, that's song fifteen. That's when he Dude. yeah he goes in. Yeah, it's 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 a very sweet song. Yeah, and it, and it gives me vibes of the whole. You know when he would use songs like that on Kill Bill. The mm-hmm. whole um, spaghetti western and stuff yep. like that, and yeah, I, I get a good feeling when I listen to that, like those instrumental kind of songs. It's a sweet moment too, because he's yeah, because you know he's in and and he's and he's grateful for what King Schultz did for him. Yes, I like that they don't over. It's not overdone. I like that it's a very it's a sweet moment where he's like, you know what? If it wasn't for you, I would not have. I wouldn't be where I'm at. I mean, he could be really pissed. I'm going to kick him, be like, motherfucker, if you hadn't shot this bitch, we'd be out of this, yeah. this whole thing. That's but it also true. wasn't over the top where he's like getting teary eyed. Like, it's just right. It doesn't placate to like, oh, thank God for this, my savior kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was just a very sweet moment of, of respect to a person who taught him a lot, who got him further, who helped free him, who got him to this moment. And now he's sad to see him go. Yeah. But it's it's nothing, you know, it doesn't have to get over the top or like it's a father figure or something, you know. Yeah. He breaks down and has a big and I love that there's no like monologue either. He just kinda of rubs his head and says, I'll see yeah. you I, you know, I'll see you on the other yeah, side. Even, I think he I think he, he like gave a kiss too. And and I think that um it's another actor who portrayed without speaking, just like uh, a moment that Dr. King did with looking at, at Hildy. He did it right there and of mm-hmm. course from Hilda did it throughout the whole film. <laughs> whole film. And that brings us to our final song. Song 16. We made it. That's crazy. That's Trinity <laughs> Titoli by Annabelle El Cantori Moderni. I'm sure I butchered that. That's what white Americans do. We butcher shit. I apologize. I do apologize to any Italian. They call him the butcher. Really, I'm Bill the Butcher. I'm off. Sorry. This song originally appeared on the soundtrack for the 1970 Spaghetti Western, They Call Me Trinity. The song was composed by Franco Michelizzi and recorded by Annabelle El Cantori Moderni. This song plays as Django blows up Candyland and continues into the end credits. Another, as I will say a thousand times, another upbeat song that takes us out. It makes us feel good and makes you know, hey, it was a movie. Did you have a good time? It was a fucking movie. And some of his movies don't always end on a positive note. But the songs do. Mr. Orange, Mr. White, just got blown off screen. Now put the lime in the coconut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, hey, yeah. <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing a fucking yeah. Congo line on the way out of the yeah. fucking theater. You know, so it's those moments. Yeah, it's unexpected with that one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this one works perfectly. And again, I think yeah. this is also a song that comes from another Western and the horse is dancing and yeah, we feel really was, good I, I about it. That's actually his real his it's horse real, in real life. real horse. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jamie Foxx is born and raised in, in Texas, so. I I, um, I I like what you said about the ending of the movie. Like, this is a movie mm-hmm. because it, it gets playful at the end. Even with yeah. the way Carrie does like this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when she, sorry for the listeners, <laughs> she like puts <laughs> her fingers in her ear, like to, to stop the noise uh, from hearing the noise of the explosion you know i'm over here like yeah you guys can see me right yeah we're in a great visual <laughs> medium right now <laughs> uh, we both have faces for radio <laughs> and like when you listen when you listen to when i listen to uh audio comedy cds i used to yeah. do it a lot yeah and then someone does and like physical comedy you're like, what the fuck? I'm just imagining, yeah. what the hell are they doing everybody's dying right yeah. now <laughs> a great song a great ending he picks a lot of great endings i'm trying to think of the one any that are sad you know lime and a coconut 
Uh, you've got the surf music at the end of Pulp Fiction. Yeah, like it's it's it's, it's positive, and Lime on the Coconut takes it. Uh, Jackie Brown is maybe the closest to being a little, but I've always felt it's the anthem across 110th Street. Yeah, so yep. it's like a powerful, positive. Kill Bill, the first Kill Bill Volume One is kind of I don't know, kind of cool and mystic because you've got um, that's the Lonely Shepherd, the Lonely Shepherd. But then it ends. The other one is uh, uh, Melly Grosso, which is upbeat, right? Fucking love it. Oh. But it has the it's maybe the guitar beat. It's more upbeat than. And then he sings gets high. Yeah, it's definitely upbeat. Yeah. Um, because they got those great trumpets and stuff in it. Death Proof is Chick Habit. Yes. Yeah. Inglorious Bastards is an upbeat kind of spaghetti western song. After you know he carves in that, I think this might be my masterpiece. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This one's got this. Even even the end of Hateful Eight, which is the Roy Orbison, um, you know, you know, uh, the song basically no one comes back from war. Even though it's a somber song, it's like upbeat. Mm. And then and then of course, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that very the tracking shot, and it's almost very Disney esque kind of like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're in a fairy tale. So there's really no songs outside. Maybe they hate the latest. Close. But even the, the song closest. by Robert, even though the lyrics are kind of like people are going to die. It's talking about how people go to war and not, not anyone comes back. But it's still upbeat. This you know, the kind music. of a marching song. Yes, yeah. the music. And this this is not different. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember you saying that in another in another episode. I think I heard you say that. Or you probably said it before because, you know, you've done every film. <laughs> Let's do the other three films. There's those happy xylophones oh. at the end of True Romance, when she's hey, talking good, about good I wouldn't have named them. At the end of Natural Born Killers, it's an upbeat, uh, I think, Tom Waits song. As they're driving off, because then you know they get away. Mickey and Mallory get away. They okay. got their kids in the van, and then uh, they play Dark Knight again. It's a dark night at the end mm-hmm. of uh, From Dust to Dawn, which was the opening. There's not a fucking downbeat song wow. in all twelve movies, which is great filmmaking because. Look, there's some movies you want to walk away and you need to, like, the end of Saving Private Ryan, which is very quiet, and it's just a flag waving. It's supposed to be somber. We're supposed yeah. to get the gravity of what World War II was. It would have been awful. It's like, you put the line in the other. It would have been terrible. <laughs> However, Tarantino, even though he's telling these stories, and there's some tragic things that happen, at the end of each movie, he wants you to go away feeling like, you had a good time at the, at the theater. It's like going into a haunted house and having fun and coming out laughing. Yeah. You had the shit scared out of you, but you enjoyed yourself and you had fun. You'll go back again. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what he wants you to take away from these movies is, hey. Because he, he wants people to have an experience, right? So An experience, yeah. You, you should come out You should come out on a high note because if you come out on a high note, it makes you feel like you like the movie more. Mm, you know? Interesting, yeah. If you feel good, you're like, I think I love yeah. that movie, you know? Yeah. Not that, you know, if you come out of Schindler's List or... You know, same for mine. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, you come out with that feeling. You know, you're kind of like, oh, so, it's okay to feel bad after Schindler's List, all right? That's all right. You shouldn't come out of like 12 Years a Slave and be like, Jesus, that was so up. You should feel the weight of those historical films. But yeah. you know, if it's not that heavy of a movie and you want to come out feeling good, yeah. Spielberg's a great example of that too. Like E.T., Jaws. You know, there's certain movies you come out and be like, you feel good about it. Yeah, you had an experience that you enjoyed overall. Yeah, and you appreciate yeah. it because I think yes. maybe from what you say what i get from it is that he wants to remind you that this was a movie and that you know it gets, still gets to be appreciated yeah i hope sure. you enjoyed all the ro- all the roller coaster i took you on please come back again next time you know <laughs> yeah. you're kind of like i'm fucking in brother it's a three-hour roller coaster motherfucker yeah. almost d'artagnan motherfuckers <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that would have been a good ending if they just said that shit again <laughs> now this soundtrack is just like the movie, it throws you, right? So there are a total of eight other things on this film. Seven are dialogue tracks. 
One is an iTunes bonus track called Ode to Django, The D Assignment by the RZA. That was not in the film. As I said, it's added to iTunes. So you can't get that on Spotify. Suck it. I'm just kidding. With you. I don't know. It's just a thing that is added. But of the seven dialogue moments, majority of them are from scenes that were cut in the film. The first one is winged. Obviously, who's that stumbling around the dark? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Announce yourself and prepare to get wanged. And then they yeah. start the music. And then it says, in that case, Django, after you, which must be a scene where Django, right before they walk into the bar. Yeah, before the bar. Yeah. Where Django is explaining to King Schultz why it would be in that town not okay yeah. for him to be in the bar. That's not in the movie. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to be very this this one I listened to it and I apologize for laughing but uh, Don Johnson this this one uh, even the title holy shit I could I double taked when I read that. I was like no. Cuz ty- I had to type it down on my notes. I'm like no, that doesn't say what it says. I'm going to skip a word. So the scene is $5,000 n-word and gummy mouth bitches. Apparently while Django's out to whoop the Brittle Brothers' asses, yeah. there is a scene inside the house with Don Johnson and King Schultz. And it's basically a scene where Don Johnson is they're discussing basically comfort girls is what he's looking to buy. Yeah. That's the, the ruse. He's talking about them. He's expressing, he's talking about how he's got the prime stock and all this other stuff. And it's just like when he says the gummy mouth bitches. It's just like, what the... F- I, I laughed. I was like, what? What? And to hear Don Johnson say it, you're just like, what is happening? Yes, exactly. I wish I would have done this even more, dude, to the the. I would like to see the scene. scene. Well, yeah. I mean, I would like to see... I think you need the scene in context, too, right? Cause, yeah. Because his detractors will say, oh, he's just finding another way to use the N-word and all this other stuff. And, all right. I mean, of course. Okay, yeah. I, I get you. And may, maybe he cut this scene because he's like, okay, maybe I'm walking a little too far. Maybe I'm too close. Spike Lee's on set today. Let me cut this. Yeah, and so, but, but then he's like, well, fuck Spike, I'm putting it in here. Yeah. And man, you know what? It will lead a little credence to my to my friend Elwood, who sometimes doesn't like the, and even Sean Wheeler, who don't like the audio in the, the like, like the clips from the movie in it, because you can't listen to this soundtrack in your home or anywhere else. Yeah. You have, you have to be, you can't, you have to be ready to skip. Like you almost have to, yeah, like I said, get the download playlist. and create your own playlist. Yeah. <laughs> because last thing you need is be relaxing by the pool or sitting by the fireside and you're just chilling. You're listening to the yeah, next thing you know, is the $5,000 N words and gummy up bitches. You're like that brings that party to a halt immediately, <laughs> immediately, especially if people don't know what you're listening to. Like, oh my God. They're like, oh my goodness. Talking? What kind of podcast is he listening to? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what he got uh, in his library. It fucking throws you. <laughs> it threw me. The next one is Sneaky Schultz and the Demise of Sharp. So this is oh, which one was this? Why am I forgetting? Oh, oh, this is uh, this. So that's weird because this jumps back to when he shoots. Yeah, the uh, the, that the sheriff. In some of the soundtracks. Yeah, it does. And that feels that's that's like another one that's good. So Winged and this are, are actually happen. Then there's Hildy's Hot Box, yeah. which. Uh, now I'm trying to remember it because now the gummy mouth bitches is 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 just in my head now. Yeah, Hildy's yeah. hotbox. I think that was a real one too. Yeah, the the she in the hotbox. Yes, yes. And then Steven, the poker player is different, completely different. That's a yeah. whole other scene, and it seems to be a scene in which he cuts Django's nuts off 
because there's a Which, scream at the end of it. Like you almost hear like so it's almost like there was an That's probably what, what um uh, Samuel Jackson alludes that there was a scene where he tortured Django originally in the script that was taken out. Yeah, so so I think it just got cut and they changed yeah. and that's when the, maybe the little Quint Dickey thing happened. But yeah, yeah there, if you listen to it, like he he snips him. That's that. He snips Django. Yeah. Game over. And then we get the six shots, two guns, which ends it. So yeah. all, all great. Thank God you have to answer this question because I don't want to answer this question. Of those seven, <laughs> <laughs> which is your favorite? And I know which one you're yeah. going to stay the fuck away from, even if it is your favorite. But <laughs> of those seven, which is your favorite? And do you think that he may have? Are you okay with that he replaced some instead of putting like some of the really good moments that could have been in there, like Django, and then he goes out of the silent or whatever? Or in my case, I'm actually okay. I kind of wish that he would have done this more because I kind of like the idea of to me, this is Tarantino fucking with people again, like bleeping Beatrix, you know? Or also telling them, hey, there's there's extra scenes that I filmed that you're never yeah, going to see, you know? See. Yeah, yes, you can so just hear them. So I, that I do like because of that. But do I wish that I actually got to see the scenes more? Of course, yeah. But I, I, would, I would have loved the idea of, like, all of a sudden there's a 35-year or 30-year anniversary Pulp Fiction soundtrack that is re-released and we get new audio that we never yeah. saw or heard. You know, that kind of stuff is kind of cool. I would have liked to have had the, the head, the bag moments. I would have liked to have yeah. that. You oh, know what I mean? I would have loved that, that is, scene, too, you know? No, I agree. I agree because he did include some real ones. And it's like, this is Tarantino who's not afraid to do a long-ass movie. So I don't see why he wouldn't have included real ones and the extra ones. And this is a long-ass soundtrack as far as track number. Exactly. As far as my favorite one, I, I'll pick the After You just because I just, I just love how this is Dr. King showing the... I'm not afraid, and this is what we're going to do. That's exactly what we should do. And probably Django is like, what the fuck? Because he realizes this is the best way to get the sheriff. Yeah. He's trying to find a way. How do we yeah. How do we get the sheriff without breaking a law? And this is how you, bring, how you do it. Yeah. Just bring a black man into a saloon, apparently. That's it. <laughs> yes, yeah. The memorable one is that she in the hot boxes. I always hear Steven. <laughs> I like the six guns, two shots, yeah. or six shots, that's two the, guns. To me, that's, one that. of the, that's the yeah. coolest one. To me, that's like the coolest one. But I still pick the, the other one. Do I have to pick the coolest one? It's the, it's the six shots, two guns. Anyway, that's what I got. The wildest one is the gummy mouth bitches. That one is just <laughs> wow. make sure you have headphones on. That one is that one's off the chain. That, that <laughs> one's unchained for sure. Holy parental adversary, yeah. All right, that'll bring us to the fact that there were thirteen other tracks heard in the film that don't appear in the original soundtrack. And it's a mix of selected music and selected score pieces. And I don't I can't recall any of the songs that I wish were on this that didn't make the soundtrack. I wish I could get all the songs on the fucking soundtrack that are actually there on iTunes. Yeah. But other yeah. than that, I don't. That didn't feel like we missed any major song. You know that I was upset they didn't make it. You know I felt like yeah, the, so major, I, I, the major. I was thinking the same thing when I was listening to the soundtrack again after watching the movie again, and I couldn't think of one. Maybe if there was any spaghetti western style, maybe I would have picked one of those. But I think most of them were in there. Yeah, you know? most of the good ones, like I said, yeah. on the CD, apparently, or the record, fantastic. <laughs> but digitally, go fuck yourself is basically what you get. Because you're missing 13 songs and about another 14 on the album that you can't fucking download or have. So. That's insane, yo. That's insane. And a couple of them are ones they made for the album, which makes, well, I don't know. Uh, you know what? I don't even want to look it up because it'll probably make me upset. It'll probably be something so fucking stupid. I can't get 100 black coffins, but I can get the $5,000 N-word and gummy mouth bitches. Right. I would trade that gladly That's for That's what doesn't make any coffins. sense. I know. That part doesn't make sense. Yeah. Obviously, he owns everything he wrote. So, whatever. I guess that's why I can get all the whatever he wants on there. But, man, 
I'd kill for 100 black coffins on there. Oh, so. man. Spike Lee will have a field day with this one. <laughs> you can get 5,000 ends, but you you cannot get 100 coffins? Okay. I know. All right, you can get some gummy mouth bitches, but no 100 coffins? <laughs> gummy mouth. <laughs> Oh, it's become my new favorite term. Gummy mouth bitches. <laughs> I'm guessing those are old ones with I no date, I, guess. I don't know. Oh, God. And Don, the way, just the way Don Johnson delivers it, it just, you can't help but his, laugh. His delivery. It's, so, it's amazing. His delivery was phenomenal because it almost didn't feel forced the way he would, he would uh, say some words. It almost made you feel like, is Don Johnson racist? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he said it's such, he had such a good exactly, delivery. You're kind of like, that's wait exactly a how the, that's exactly how the Instagram comments would be like. Yeah, that came out a little too easy. You know, like that's exactly how the comments would be. <laughs> oh, you can tell he said this before. That's exactly how it would be, dude. On that day of recording of having to film that, and he had to look at the script and go, "All right, so I'm saying." <laughs> and they had to do a rehearsal too, like. Yeah. Oh. All right, let's wrap this up with your final questions. Let's ask our guest. Some fucking questions. And we now get to find out where things in this soundtrack rank for you. And we start with, what is your favorite track on this soundtrack? And why is it Gummy Mouth Bitches? (laughs) Oh, shit. Okay, so like I always tell you, that's a hard motherfucking question. I know. I know. I'm going to go just for the sake of right now, this episode. I'm going to go with Freedom. Mm. Because I have, you know, my top three. Um, I have four. I have um, Black Cuffin, Freedom, Who Did That to You, and, uh, well, I like some of the others. But as far as top four, I would say those three uh, in uh, Monumental, because I just like, I'm like that with instrumental songs. But there's a lot of, there's other songs, like um, His Name is King. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the one I grew to to like later was I've got a name because I found a different meaning to the song, mm-hmm. you know? So then I was like, damn, wait a minute. I want to hear this more now, <laughs> but let's go with freedom was my favorite. All right. It's a damn fine song. It's a powerful song, it, especially in the part yeah. of the movie it's in. It's, it really comes out and just punches you. Now, what is your least favorite track on this soundtrack? Oh, fucking A, mate. Fucking A, mate. I know. Are you doing this to me <laughs> right now? On the air? Just <laughs> <laughs> some gummy mouth bitch shit right here. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick that bonus track that I don't care for. <laughs> Fair. I, I, yeah. You know what? I hate to, I hate to shit on the wrist because it's from the Wu-Tang. Like, I hate to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I'm not even doing it to shit on no. him, but the song itself. So I'll pick that one. Look, the man's got plenty of other great music out there. Yeah, and he did and a great and job again, with the stuff on Kill Bill. And one, one, so. one thing that I've learned and that I've also learned that you say on your podcast, you say, hey, you appreciate Tarantino. You're a fan of his, but you're not going to be afraid to talk about when you don't like something that he did. Yeah. So this, no, is, not, this is not about RZA. This is just about that particular song. Yeah. You know? But but I'll, I'll give Tarantino credit that, you know what, he likes RZA enough to give him a spot to put another yeah. song on. So who knows? Maybe someone does love this. I don't know. You never know. I'm pretty sure somebody likes it, dude. What is the most underrated track on this soundtrack for me that question is always interesting and i always end up picking a song that i like that i feel other people maybe don't so that would be monumental because if you put it up against the other songs i think it's not as powerful or it doesn't deliver as much as the others because the other ones have powerful lyrics Mm -hmm. powerful messages 
and they hit hard to the beginning some of those songs like if you like the way you spoke of uh, 100 black coffins so i'm gonna go with monumental because it's it's uh i don't know there's something else that i go that's with all the soundtrack episodes that we've done since Pulp Fiction, I like those um, instrumental songs. So I'm going to go with that one. No wrong choices when it comes to your own personal selection. Please. Unless you're Steve Smith, right. then you're wrong. Just <laughs> <laughs> now the old, here's the other hard motherfucking question. Where does this soundtrack rank for you in all of his soundtracks? So, you know, uh, for me, the ones that I would listen to the most and still are is um, Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction and the Death Proof soundtrack. So um, I would think that this still would be four, five, six, because I put Kill Bill in there, you know, and, and this one. So I, I don't know. I think it'll be four or five. I don't have an exact number, but it's not top three. I can tell you that much, but it's top five. <laughs> And that will do it for this month's Himmler Devotional. I would once again like to thank my special guest, Frank Hannon, co-host of the Bachata Talk podcast, for joining me. Now, you can find the link to Frank's podcast along with the show's socials in our show notes. And as always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by following us on all our socials. Those links can be found in the show notes as well. Now, if you'll be so kind to take a moment to like, review, subscribe, and follow us, the Church would greatly appreciate it, as it will help other Tarantino fans, like yourselves, find the show. So join me again in two weeks as the dynamic duo from the podcast nobody asked for, Ian Harris and Graham Jones. Join me as we take a look at two of the films that helped inspire one of Tarantino's more underrated movies, The Hateful Eight. Those films being The Thing and For a Few Dollars More. So until next time, this has been the Reverend Scott K. May Tarantino be with you always. Motherfucker. This has been a man with an exceptional beard production.